This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Small business is in the midst of a comeback across America thanks to the reopen, and we want things to go as well as possible for all the small businesses across this country. HR can be a major headache, and especially if you're dealing with some new costs and personnel issues, you need to have an HR setup that works for you. Because when you're running a business, HR issues can kill you if they get out of hand. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. So it's month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. Bambi.com slash buck. I just first want to say to all of you, thank you so much for all of the support, the well wishes, the, the kind words. Yesterday was a big day for the team, for Team Buck, for, for all of you, for all of you listen across the country and obviously a, a huge day professionally for me. Um, I'm over the moon. I mean, I couldn't be more excited about this. I can tell you I've done some test shows with my my soon to be co-host Clay Travis, and he is so sharp and his radio skills are so uh, high level. We're going to have an amazing show. And I will say this for sure. He, he brings a whole knowledge of the sports world that I do not have. I don't care. As you know, I don't care about professional sports at all. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if, if there were no professional sports on TV, it wouldn't make any difference to me. Uh, but Clay is very, very knowledgeable with that and, and incredibly conversant on cultural and political issues, too. So we are going to be in for Rush Limbaugh starting June 21st. I know yesterday I was a little a little bit uh, hazy on the date, and it turns out I think that it has been set. June 21st, 12 to 3, I will be stepping into the, the biggest radio spot on, well, the biggest radio spot out there. Some of you have been asking, well, hold on a second. What about this person or what about that person? I thought so-and-so was taking over for Rush. And I, I want to just have a, a point of clarity here. And this this has to be said because it's true. There's no taking over for Rush. No one takes over for Rush. No one replaces Rush. It's not possible, right? I, you know, this is like, you know, does, does somebody take over for uh, Michael Jordan? Does somebody take over for Wayne Gretzky? Does someone take over for, you know, Theodore Roosevelt. I mean, no, somebody else maybe will be president, but there's no replacing somebody uh, of the of the stature and impact of Rush Limbaugh. And and I understand that as as well as as actually anybody possibly could, given that I was I had the opportunity to fill in for him and understood what he created and, and what he meant for 
conservative media and for the country. So I, I just I want everyone to be very clear. Nobody has to send me a note. I mean, I saw a few of these, and that's fine, saying, Buck, you're great, and I think you're the right choice, but nobody replaces Rush. Trust me, I know that nobody replaces Rush. Um, I'm stepping into a, there is now an, an opening on the radio airwaves that should be filled by the best possible show from the perspective that, that you and I share of patriotism, conservatism, love of country, and fun and, you know, a voice you can count on, a voice you can trust to be there for you. Now, voice is, it'll be Clay Travis, Buck Sexton. And uh, it's, it's a very, very exciting for us. But for those who are asking, hold on, I thought so-and-so was replacing Rush. As I said, there is no replacing Rush. But if you're saying, I thought someone else was taking the 12 to 3 slot. So I work, and this is a little bit of radio inside baseball. I work at iHeartMedia. iHeartMedia is the largest radio company in America and of Rush Limbaugh's stations, the stations that carried Rush's show, the vast majority of them are iHeartMedia stations. Rush was so big that there were other companies, other radio companies out there that that are uh, all considerably smaller than iHeartMedia, and they also carried Rush's show. So some of the other people that you might have heard, oh, so-and-so is going to be going noon to three in the Rush Limbaugh slot. Some of those people, um, what's going on with them is that the non-iHeart radio stations, some of those stations are going to be carrying a different show. But if you're wondering, what will a vast majority, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of the stations that rush was on for decades uh who will be on those stations it will be uh buck sexton and clay travis 12 to 3 june 21st so that that i hope is because i know it is confusing for people and i've been getting a lot of messages asking about that so that's what's going on there i'm i'm going to be stepping in with clay for the iheart stations other stations as well from from companies but the the radio world is is uh, I'll, I'll, there's a lot of different corporate entities involved, but iHeartMedia is by far the by far the largest, and and for Rush station purposes had uh, most of the stations. So, you know, in, in a sense, if you're looking at this as as a real estate situation, if radio is real estate, a vast majority of the Rush acreage, and I mean, I think it's it's at you know we're talking. Certainly more, certainly more than half. I mean, I, I don't know what the exact numbers would be. Um, probably something like uh, uh, 60, 70 percent, maybe, you know, roughly around there uh, will be Buck Sexton and Clay Travis. Because um, there are a number of shows that are starting at uh, the 12 to 3 or, or have started at the 12 to 3. There's a, a handful of them, about a half dozen that I can think of right now. But. Clay and I will be on the, the, the most stations in 12 to 3 um, by far. So that, that's the answer to that question, if you're, if you're wondering. I mean, uh, it's, we're, we're very excited about it, and uh, we are already just thinking about how we can build the best possible show and just do, do the most we can. You know, yesterday I was quoted as saying that I, I, I want to make Rush listeners proud. 
because I, I know that that's you know, the thing to say would be, oh, yes, I, I, I would certainly I would wish that that Rush Limbaugh would, you know, would would, would bless us, you know, if, if he could from from up in heaven. I mean, that's that's no there's no question, but I, I can never really I could never prove that to any of you. But the listeners, those of you who are Rush listeners, I can meet and know that I'm meeting your expectations and, and make you proud in, in honor of Rush's legacy. And that's what I will, what I will try to do um, every day. It was really kind to see, or it was really nice to see how kind so many people were in the, in the business. Uh, Bo Snurdly, Mr. Snurdly wrote a very nice note publicly uh, about how I'm a, I'm a great friend and he wishes me all the best and success with this. And, you know, it's going to be a great show. So that was really nice. I mean, that Rush is right hand man for decades. He, Mr. Snurdly, has in essence blessed this enterprise uh, with with Buck and Clay Travis. I'm very pleased about that. Uh, that really meant a lot. And it was also one of those times where there was almost a it was almost a free for all. I mean, I was getting text messages and, and emails from people I hadn't heard from in 20, 25 years in some cases. That's how far and wide news of this spread. So it was quite a launch day or announcement day, I should say. I guess launch day is June 21st. Uh, but to those of you who, and I'm trying to get to as many of the notes, and I appreciate every, I will read every single one of you who sent in an email or a message yesterday of support. I will read it. And I'm going to respond to as many as I can, but there, there were, and I'm over, I mean, it's overwhelming and, and it's wonderful. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So, I mean, probably I mean, really, I would think now more like, you know, in the thousands, but it, it's certainly in the hundreds and hundreds. And uh, I would just say, thank you so much for all that. And, and for the people that were expressing the, this feels like a win for me too. I saw that a number of times. Someone writing in, Buck, I've been listening to you since a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. I've been listening since original Saturday squad. That's right. I started on Saturdays, noon to three. I was working six days a week, five days a week for the blaze.com and the blaze TV and the six day, the blaze radio. I had one day off a week for 18 months. That was my schedule. And you know how much I was getting paid for that six day zero. And I was happy to do it because I love radio and I wanted a chance. So those of you who are with me for that, for my free radio show, in essence, no, there was no money. There was no money changing hands in the early months of that at all. I didn't get paid a dime to do that show. Um, those of you who were with me from then to now and, and have joined at any point in the interim, have, have decided that you're going to give me a shot, heard me fill in for Rush. People forget I filled in for Sean Hannity. I filled in as a guest host for Glenn Beck. Uh, so, you know, the, the three greatest radio hosts of of that era and if, if you feel like yesterday was a win for you you're right it is i'm like a band that you were buying five dollar tickets to see at some dive bar in your town in your neighborhood and that meant that i could pay my rent and keep going and keep writing more songs and build and build and you know, now I'm going on a world tour, baby. Now we are off to the races. And it's because of all of you who bought those $5 tickets at the 
dive bar to see me play with my band, so to speak. Right. It's because of all of you. So, yeah, I think if I'm you giving there, there are hundreds, probably thousands of talk radio shows. And when you add podcasts, it's certainly in the it's in the tens of thousands. I mean, there's podcasts everywhere. But there are, are hundreds of radio shows, dozens of syndicated shows across the country. And those of you who chose to listen to this show have my everlasting appreciation and thanks. And also, I mean, and I don't say this to be immodest. I say this because I think this is true. You recognize what a good show is. And you recognize what's worth your time. So you you have discerning taste in radio. And and I, I understand that that also is a little bit of a pat on the back for, for what we do here. But it's a pat on the back for all of us. You know, they, just know that the the odds of me when I started in this business 10 years ago, give or take some months, the odds of me starting this business 10 years ago, having spent my whole 20s not doing any media at all, never went to journalism school, didn't even study journalism. It wasn't wasn't doing anything in public life to end up sitting in at 12 p.m. and occupying the radio space with Clay Travis that had formerly been the home of of the great Rush Limbaugh. The odds of that happening ha- were, was truly a thousand to one, probably low, more like 10,000 to one. And you saw what others recognized as a, you know, a, a horse that looked a little younger than his than his age with a bit of a poofy hair. And but you heard the voice and you knew what I was saying to you came from the heart and you were with me and you stayed with me through moving around to different companies to moving to different cities to all these years. You all listening to this show were the people that no matter what town I was in, no matter what time of day or night, I knew that if, if I started playing my music, you were going to be there cheering, and that made it all worthwhile. So was it a victory yesterday for all of us, for every single one of you listening to this show? You're darn right it was. If you're vaccinated, go enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Um, certainly, um, you uh, we've, we've all been longing for some time away, some time to do um, the things we love with the people we love. Um, if you're not vaccinated, give your get yourself a gift this holiday weekend and get vaccinated so you can protect yourself, your family, and your entire community. Uh, let me just say, go enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, period. How about that? Let's start with enjoy your time meant for enjoyment, relaxation, and yes, some reflection. I understand it's a holiday weekend. People are going to party. They're going to barbecue. And I love it. I hear this from uh, and we have Sean Parnell with us today on the show, who's a combat veteran. And as you all that you all can tell that the people that I have on this show, the regulars in the show, not only are they good guests and good content people, I really like them. I have good human beings on this show because I think that's I think that's important. I have people that you'd want to be around that you'd you know want your kids to be around the kind of people they could look up to. That's who I have as, as regulars on the show. And certainly, you know, whether it's Sean Parnell or Jesse Kelly or or Jack Posobiec or Ann Coulter or, you know, Carol Markowitz, any of them. Ryan Gerdusky. I mean, these are all they're 
smart, but they're good people. And I, I always I wanted to emphasize that to you because I'm also so appreciative to all of them for how much they give. I, I don't pay them anything to come on the show. They're just giving us me, but all of us, all of you listening their time. But go back to Sean Parnell is going to be with this. You know, he's a combat veteran. He lost a lot of his brothers in arms in Afghanistan. His his platoon outlaw platoon saw really intense combat. And some of them ended up doing many tours of duty. Um, And, you know, he would tell you, and I I love hearing this from veterans, too. This is such a, they say they went out there and fought and some of their brothers made the ultimate sacrifice. And they, I heard this so many times, so that you can have some time off, be with your family, have a burger, have a beer, watch the game, kick back by the pool. You know, They, they do it so that you don't have to be grabbing a, a helmet and an M16 and dealing with, you know, the, the invading Soviets or the Ch- or the Chinese People's Republic Army or whatever. Right. They, they, they do it so that you can enjoy Memorial Day weekend. And those who paid the price did it so you could be with your family and be joyous. So, yes, there should be some reflection. There's the thanks. There's the gratitude. But it's also not not all about solemnity to be sure people should be enjoying i'm going to see my brothers this weekend oh man we're going we've got a range day plan i'm going to the beach we're going shooting we're going to get steaks going to be the three sexton brothers rocking out in miami so yeah if you see me you might even see my two brothers who both have two great dogs too so it'd be the three boy three brothers maybe my one of my brother's fiancés and then the two dogs walking down the beach but what Rochelle Walensky says, like, I understand what she's going for here. I, I, I get why she's saying what she's saying here. But at this point, if you're not vaccinated, you've made a choice to not get vaccinated. That's where we are. If you're not vaccinated, because you don't want to. So enjoy your weekend. There, there is no there's no benefit to not enjoying this weekend and taking some time to just Really, honestly, this might sound a little a little bit like a hippie thing, but take some deep breaths outside this weekend and close your eyes and tell yourself we made it through this pandemic. The future is going to be better and brighter. Yeah, we got to defeat commies and they're trying to ruin the country and all that. But that's what I'm here for. You don't worry about that this weekend. Take some deep breaths, you know. Bust out the cooler, be with the people who matter the most to you, have some have some beers or, you know, if you're like me, you want to be a little fancy, crack open some Zimas, have a a joyous, joyful, uh, relaxing long weekend. Don't allow pandemic panic to, you know, we're, we're, we're through it. There's no point in worrying. Anything can happen any day to anybody, right? The worries that you allow to creep into your mind that you shouldn't have, it's just... All it is is cost and no benefit. That's all it is. So please have a have a good, restful, happy Memorial Day weekend. I joined the CIA because of 9-11. 9-11 changed the course of history. So to say it changed my life is just to, to note that I was alive during it because it really changed all of our lives, changed the world. And... I still remember that day very well. I remember having some really just deeply 
frightening you know moments and thoughts go through my head I, my uncle uh through marriage my uncle uh was just happened to be late to work that day you know because you remember it happened before 9 a.m he was late to work otherwise his his company he worked for aon corporation the big insurance corporation and he lost almost everybody he knew in his office uh, Canner Fitzgerald, which lost the most people, I believe, Aon Corporation lost the second most. Canner uh, Fitzgerald was a place that a lot of my high school high school graduates from Regis in New York City, there was a real connection to Canner Fitzgerald. So a lot of Regians, we called them, were lost that day. And I just remember the feeling of both deep sadness and deep rage at what had happened. And I, I even, I even uh, talked to a, a dean at my college. I said, if I wanted to go and sign and sign up, if I wanted to take time off to sign up and, and get into this fight, would you save my spot here in, in college? And I remember they told me, no, I'd have to reapply, which I was shocked. But now, in retrospect, when you when you get the leftist mindset and that my campus was completely overrun with with uh, with Marxists and, and anti-Americanism. I guess it's not surprising, but I'll never forget that. I won't say the dean's name because I don't want to be unfair. And it was a private conversation. But I, I, I still remember saying, sir, if I, if I wanted to go, I had in my head, look, I don't even what I have what I've made it through Ranger School, what I've made it into selection for special forces. You know, maybe not. But I would have tried. I mean, I was a collegiate rower. So I, at the time, I think I was at least close to being in the realm of having the athleticism to uh, to get through, you know, Ranger School. But. I don't like uh, I don't like being cold and I don't like taking orders. So that's maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would have been. This see people say why Why do you go CIA instead of signing up in the military? And I've always said because I just thought I'd be better at CIA. But then when I learned more about what the CIA was, I kind of thought you know probably should have gone to the military. But anyway, so nine eleven we all have our memories of it, and, and obviously today is not a nine eleven. Uh, anniversary or, or Memorial Day, but I'm thinking about it because there are so many comparisons that are constantly being made by Democrats between January 6th and 9-11. And we know that this is, I mean, any person of good sense and good faith understands that this is a complete and total outrage i mean it's it's offensive it's disgusting it's very similar to uh, you know when, when you know, people referring to uh, you know what what happened in in god when people say what happened in gaza is a genocide no it's it's not a genocide and in gaza there were people who who died recently but it's not a genocide so you know we, we need to use terms we need to uh we need to frame issues in a way that deals with facts, deals with reality. And that's why this piece by Deborah Burlingame, uh, Burlingame on the Wall Street Journal today is so, so powerful. And I want, I want to quote pretty extensively from it because you need to hear what this woman has to say in this, in this op-ed, the Wall Street Journal. It's a travesty to compare the Capitol siege to 9-11 more than 3,000 children never saw their parents again. On January 6th, Congress returned 
within hours. Here's how she starts. Quote, Democratic lawmakers want to establish a 9-11 style commission to investigate the siege of the Capitol on January 6th. I would like to see January 6th burn into the American mind as firmly as 9-11 because it was that scale of a shock to the system, commentator George Will said recently. The attempt to reconfigure the domestic terrorist narrative to fit the horrifying story of September 11th is profoundly disheartening. These two events are fundamentally different in nature, scope, and consequences. Mentioning them in the same breath not only diminishes the horror of what happened on 9-11, it tells a false story to the generation of Americans who are too young to remember that day nearly 20 years ago. My brother, Charles Chick Burlingame, was the pilot of American Airlines Flight 77. He was murdered in his cockpit at age 51 in a six and a half minute struggle for control of the airplane. Here is what I want these young people to know. Members of Congress might have a frightening memory from January 6th, but on 9-11, some 200 people in the World Trade Center towers chose to jump from 80 to 100 floors above the ground rather than be consumed by fire. A woman waiting at a lobby elevator bank was burned over 82% of her body when jet fuel from the first plane sent a ball of fire down the elevator shaft and into the lobby. She spent three months in a hospital burn unit and was permanently disfigured. End quote. Seeing what we're, to- what we're, what we're really, really establishing here, right? It's appalling. It's disgusting, false, nonsensical, vicious idiocy to compare a riot where people were literally taking selfies in the Capitol and running around with smiles and having chats, friendly chats in some cases, with Capitol Police. Yes, I know there were people outside that were that were punching and kicking some officers. Yes, I know there were some rioters. BLM and the left punches and kicks officers like it's nothing all the time all over the country. Hundreds and hundreds of times in the last year alone. Mob violence is a part of the Democrat Party's approach to power. And yet they, they really think they're going to lecture us forever about January 6th. How many people did the Capitol Hill rioters kill on January 6th? There's only one accurate answer to that question, and it is zero. Zero. How many uses of lethal force even occurred by the January 6th rioters? Zero. How many people died that day total? Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed woman shot through the neck by a Capitol Hill police officer who drew his weapon on video, gave no warning and shot through a door. That is what happened. These are all facts. Now let's go back to this comparison of January 6th 
with 9-11. And I, why, why would I even give why would I even give my breath to this? Why even spend time on this? Because this is the central Democrat Party narrative of the moment. The fact that they have this quasi senile buffoon, Joe Biden, this sub mediocrity as the commander in chief. And we can all see that they're a bunch of Marxist loons and they're ruining the country and their policies are idiotic. And we see this all playing out before us. How do they try to win the political fight by just pointing to January 6th and saying, see, this is what we're up against. And it's worse than that, too. They point to January 6th in order to justify the crackdown. They point to January 6th and say Donald Trump must be prevented from even being able to run again. His supporters should be monitored on social media. The people who voted for him should be suspect. Their loyalty question to this country. That's the purpose of the January 6th narrative. Well, let's take a look back at reality and history with this Deborah Burlingame Wall Street Journal op-ed. They want to compare January 6th to 9-11? Let's see how that actually compares. Quote, There are countless harrowing stories of death, destruction, and heartbreaking loss from 9-11. More than 3,000 children lost parents. Eight young children were killed on the planes. Recovery personnel found 19,000 human remains scattered all over lower Manhattan from river to river, including on rooftops and window ledges. Victims' remains were still being recovered years later by utility workers and construction crews. Some families received so many notifications of remains that they couldn't take it anymore and asked for them to stop. More than 1,100 families received nothing. Their loved ones went to work that morning and disappeared. End quote. I'm sorry, but I don't care if she tears up I don't care if she's going to tell us that she thought that it was all over. AOC's trauma, among other members of Congress, at the thought of something bad happening at the Capitol when they weren't even in the Capitol building or the rotunda or anywhere near it when this was happening, is not the same thing as thousands of people incinerated or crushed in a mass terrorist attack in New York and Washington, D.C., by enemies who seek our total annihilation to this day, I might add. And to compare the two things is outrageous and disgusting and dishonorable. And people who do do so deserve your contempt. The Democrat Party is building a central narrative of why they should be in power and why they should have the right to oppress you, and the narrative is built upon lies. They are worthy of your contempt. The article goes on. The attack brought down our nationwide aviation system, shut down the New York Stock Exchange for days, destroyed or rendered uninhabitable 16 acres of lower Manhattan, including underground subway and commuter lines, and destroyed a section of the Pentagon. Rebuilding at Ground Zero is still incomplete, and U.S. troops are still in Afghanistan. On January 6th, 
Congress resumed its session that evening. It is deeply offensive and sad that the brutal and harrowing memories of the worst terrorist attack in American history are being deployed by part, uh, political partisans. They are using 9-11 not as an example of what the American people endured and overcame together, but explicitly to divide, to stoke hatred, and to further a political agenda aimed at stigmatizing the other party and marginalizing ordinary Americans from participating in the political process. That is the real threat to democracy. It should matter that the vast majority of the people who went to the Capitol protest that day didn't believe they were there to overthrow the U.S. government, or it must now be said to kill anyone. There have been real terrorist attacks on the Capitol, but those must be forgotten because they came from the political left. In 1971, the Weather Underground, a Marxist-Leninist terror group whose goal was the overthrow of the U.S. government through violent armed revolution, blasted a hole through the ceiling on the Senate side of the complex. It also bombed the Pentagon in 1972 and the State Department in 1975. In 1954, four Puerto Rican nationalists opened fire with automatic weapons from the House Visitors Gallery with members in the chamber for a quorum call. Five representatives were wounded, including one, Alvin Morell Bentley of Michigan, who was hit in the chest. The perpetrators received sentences ranging from 50 to 75 years. One was released in 1978, and President Carter granted clemency to the others the following year, of course. One week after the shooting, the House was back to business as usual. That was a time when more members of Congress had served in the military and with the world still recovering from World War II, one doubts that anyone likened the attack to Pearl Harbor or the Battle of Iwo Jima. We are living in perilous times when a modern democracy deploys forces of intimidation, whether government, corporate media, or cultural institutions, to promote the ruling majority's propaganda. It is, a good, it is time for a good people to stand up and object. The world-changing attack of September 11, 2001 shouldn't be used either as precedent or moral authority to create a commission whose sole purpose is to turn a straightforward law enforcement failure into destructive political theater, end quote. Deborah Burlingame in the Wall Street Journal, one of the best, most important op-eds I have read in years. I can't imagine anyone voting against establishing a commission on the greatest assault since the Civil War on the, on the Capitol. But at any rate, hey guys, I can't for ice cream. So Joe Biden is either a moron or a liar or both. It's commander in chief, folks. The greatest assault on our Capitol since the Civil War. No, I think people open firing inside Congress and, and hitting members of Congress is a greater assault. You know, I would argue that a greater assault on our democracy occurred when you had a Bernie Sanders supporter engage in a mass assassination attempt of conservative members of Congress at a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia. That was only a few years ago. You can ask Steve Scalise or Senator Rand Paul or others about that one. Explicitly targeted, not just because they were members of Congress, because they were conservative members of Congress. An actual mass assassination attempt with a semi-automatic rifle, Steve Scalise took a bullet, almost died. We're going to get lectures from this fraud 
this flimsy imbecile, Joe Biden, the greatest assault on our capital. No, I think the leftists, Marxists who have tried to bomb the Capitol, who have opened fire in the Capitol and actually hit people in the Capitol with guns. Um, I think that's a bigger assault, Joe. They only can rule by and through lies, friends. And that's why we have to stop them every time we can, every chance we get. We are going into a holiday weekend, but it's Memorial Day weekend, as you know. It's, it's a solemn weekend, one in which you should reflect on your country. Be with family, be with friends, take time to rest and recuperate, to be sure, but also to think about what it really means for those who have uh, paid the ultimate price for this country, for their family, loved ones, and for those who served alongside them as well. To talk to us about his thoughts, his reflections going into this Memorial Day weekend, we have Sean Parnell with us. He is the author of Outlaw Platoon, as well as the Eric Steele novels. He was a former Army Ranger officer, saw combat in Afghanistan, and he's currently a candidate for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Sean, great to have you back. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling going into this this holiday weekend about, you know, uh, the it feels to me a little bit like the American people are not as as dialed in on what's what's happening with our armed forces, what's going on with the veteran community. I mean, 10 years ago, everybody with the still the war on terror going on and more focus on Iraq, Afghanistan, ISIS. It felt like it was more at the forefront. Now, you know what we see mostly, it seems, Sean, is coverage of you know, critical race theory training in the military and uh, and transgender ideology and a lot of politicization. What is the status as you see it right now? I mean, how how, how are our armed forces doing? Yeah, it's, it's a great question and a great point. And I think you're right. I think that that the sacrifice that that the men and women in uniform make for our country is sort of on the back burner right now. And I think that's part of the reason why I think it's so important, uh, you know, for, for like my personal mission, right, is to help bridge the gap between, you know, people who protect freedom on a day to day basis and people who enjoy it. Right. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I mean, going into this weekend, like every day is is Memorial Day for me. And I, I think, you know, I've lost 30 of my closest friends in, in 20 years of war. And like, look, I'm 39 years old and you think about it, we've been at war for 20 years. That's like half of my life we've been at war and I've lost 30 people, 30 people. And so, you know, for me, it's like I, I, I just try every day to live a life that is worthy of their sacrifice. You know, like they didn't get to come home. Uh, they gave their life for this country. But I, I know in my heart of hearts that they would that they would want me to live my life to the fullest. So every day that I wake up, every day that I draw breath is, is a blessing. And I try to earn it. You know, if you watch the movie Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks's character at the end is just like, earn this. I think that's what he means. Like, live a full life, you know, and and honor the sacrifice of those who didn't make it home. And, and so, you know, when I talk about bridging that gap between veterans and civilians. I think part of the way that we can do that, Buck, is by talking to the next generation, right? Like making sure that the legacy of those men and women who were lost in service to this country is passed on, right? And so my kids, I've got three little kids, uh, Ethan, Emma, Evan, 12, 11, and eight. And I talk to them 
about my soldiers, you know, who didn't get to make it home. And I make and I make sure that they understand, you know, what the cost of freedom really is. When you think about what was driving your, your brothers in arms in, in Afghanistan a day in and day out to, to put on the helmet, carry the rifle and, and get out there and take risks, knowing that they had family waiting for them back home. They had loved ones, people that they were, you know, were, were, were hoping they were going to get to see again. And in some cases, as you've, you've told us, they did not get to see them again. What was the psychology, the mentality, the motivation? Uh, how, how does one do that? How did those yeah. men get up and do what they did? Yeah, and what's so fascinating about this, Buck, is that the guys that I led, right, back then there were no women in the infantry, so that's why I'm referring to them as men. But, you know, my men, like the job that they had before carrying a machine gun in heavy combat on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan was like, you know, high school shortstop, you know. So these guys weren't highly trained, like special forces operators or Navy SEALs. These were kids that just raised their right hand, volunteered to serve this country because they loved this country. I mean, that was what it boiled down to. And in combat, I watched these kids perform, you know, one extraordinary, it was just like one triumph of the human spirit after the next, you know. And I think what it boiled down to, Buck, was that we didn't want to let each other down. You know, you know, they train you like when you go into basic, right, or boot camp, like you're an individual, but they train you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Right. And that's why you hear from your drill instructors like, oh, we're only as fast as our slowest person. Like so the, the military trains you to shoot, move and communicate together as a team. And then you go to war and you fight, bleed and die together as a team. And the team is all that matters. And, it, and it's like I'm the oldest of four siblings. Like I love my brothers uh, and, and my sister. I'm closer and know more about my soldiers, 40 of my men in, in combat than I would ever be with my own family. And, you know, I could tell you someone who's walking away in the middle of the night, 20 meters away from me, just, I could tell you exactly who they are based on how they walk. Like that's how, that's how well you know these people. And so you just don't want to fail them, Buck. You know, I had a soldier, we were baited into an ambush in Afghanistan. His name's St. Jean. Uh, got shot in the head, miraculously survived, wrapped his head up like a mummy and was out of the wire in two or three days after that. I'm like, man, you don't have to do this. Like, you can just rest, right? Heal up because I have to do it because, you know, I'm not any, you know, like my everyone else is sacrificing. I should be out there sacrificing too. So I think it was that fear of letting each other down that drove people to do extraordinary things. We're speaking to Sean Parnell, author of Outlaw Platoon, as well as the Eric Steele series of, of uh, action and combat novels. He's a former Army Ranger, candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania in the next election cycle, already declared. Sean, it, it does seem increasingly like pop culture or leftist culture or however we want to describe it, views uh, shows of patriotism as outdated outmoded perhaps even views it with a little bit of a dismissiveness or disdain as somebody who was outside the wire with those who who paid the ultimate price and was was close to them as you've described in a way that only combat can bring men close together why do you think it is that there's this this trend in this country what what, what can, and what can people do to push against it of patriotism is somehow unfashionable in america now yeah, you know, it, it's a great point. You know, you, you see 
stories, you know, constantly, you know, on, on Netflix or Amazon or even on the, on the big screen, uh, pushed by Hollywood of sort of negative veteran experiences or coming home and, and really struggling. And of course those struggles are real. Like in many ways, veterans come home and war changes you in ways that you never anticipate. You, sometimes you can come home and feel like an exile in your own country when your family doesn't understand you uh, it could, because you've changed. All that's real. Um, but the reality is, is that I, looking back on my experience in combat, right, and uh, there are lots of negative experiences, surrounded by death and destruction every single day, but I'd go back and do it in a second because I love the men around me. I love this country. And, and, and I know that my men feel the same way, right? So it wasn't necessarily about all of those, those negative experiences, although they certainly affect us moving forward. The core and the heart of, of ever, anyone, I think, that's fought in, in, in wars is, is a love of this country. And I, and I wish that we could see more Hollywood films that, that reflected that love of country. And I think the last one that we really saw was, was American Sniper with Chris Kyle. You remember that when that movie came out? It set records, man. People Smash were lining it. Up, yes, yes, people were lining up around the block to see that movie because people in this country, there is a desperate need for people in this country to want to be proud of their country, and they want to see that reflected on the screen. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit upsetting. I wish Hollywood would sort of shift gears a little bit uh, and, and start putting out more patriotic stuff because it's important. Speaking of Sean Parnell, former Army Ranger, best-selling author, Senate candidate in Pennsylvania. Sean, what do you say to people who would ask you, is America still worth literally fighting for, as in going to war, fighting for this country, given how it's going? There's a lot of pessimism out there. You, you were in combat. You know about the sacrifice that others made who did not come home. If someone said to you, you know, is is this country still worth taking those risks for? What do you say? Absolutely. One hundred percent. This country uh, is the best country on the face of the planet. It's exceptional, not because, you know, we're perfect. Of course, we've made mistakes in the past. But what makes this nation exceptional is we've always sought to right the ship and right wrongs that, that, that have been committed. You know, when when a tsunami killed you know, over a quarter of a million people in Southeast Asia, uh, those people weren't calling for Iran or China or North Korea. They were calling for the United States of America. When an earthquake in Pakistan killed 80,000 people, the Pakistanis were calling for America. Again, not China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. They were calling for us because we're the greatest benevolent superpower that the world has ever known. And America needs great people to stand up and defend her, you know, and so I don't buy into the leftist narrative that this country is fundamentally bad and therefore needs to be fundamentally changed. I just it's not true. We should reject that narrative with every fiber of the of, of our being and stand up and, and defend this country because hey, it's worth fighting for. And uh, Sean, I just want to switch gears for a second and ask your thoughts about I mean, this is not really about Memorial Day specifically, although it, it obviously ties into the sacrifice of those who served in Afghanistan and, and what, our, what our legacy as a country is going to be there. We may be out, they say, meaning U.S. troops will be out by July. Um, that's a, that's it could happen that quickly. There's also reporting that the Taliban is taking back uh, or taking surrenders, actually, and taking back territory already. 
What do you make about that as somebody who was there in in the dirt, up in the mountains, getting shot at? What do you make about this decision and this process of withdrawal? Well, I'll tell you that, you know, I understand the humanitarian concerns, right? Like I've, I've, I talk about this a lot. I've talked about it with you. I've talked about it in public. There are people in Afghanistan who emerged from the shadows, little girls that went to school and said that, you know, we're going to work with Americans to make our country a better place. I recognize that if we pull out, those people are going to be targets. But I'm, I'm, I also recognize that we have an obligation to the American people and, and our sons and daughters in this country as well. And, and, and what has been very upsetting to me about the war in Afghanistan, like if you and I went out to four, three or four different Ford operating bases in Afghanistan and asked a random American private, hey, what's your mission? What's your mission? What's your mission? You'd get a different answer from every one of them. And when that happens, Buck, it creates hesitation, and that hesitation in combat can cost lives. And so to me, you know, I, I, as a commander, if I were, if I were wave a magic wand – and, and make a decision, I'd be making a tactical and strategic decision to just say, you know what, it's time to go. Um, you know, and, and that doesn't mean complete wholesale pullout. I think, I think it's, 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 it's possible to have special forces and ranger battalions pre-positioned to go after the worst of the worst to keep that country from going back to be a, being a Petri dish for terrorists. Um, but if people don't have clarity on what the mission is, it puts our, it puts Americans in danger. And I think it's I think it's time to go. Sean Parnell, combat army ranger and best-selling author. Uh, go check out uh, his Senate campaign. Sean, what's the website? Parnellforsenate.com. Parnellforsenate.com. Sean, man, appreciate you as a friend and, and greatly appreciate your service uh, as somebody who was out there and, and really did the work and, and took the risks and the sacrifices. God bless you, your family, and have a good Memorial Day weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. Take care.